The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Well, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, finishing out our Thanksgiving weekend here today. I want to give you a little idea of where we're going to be going in our studies together on Sunday mornings. Today, we'll be looking at the very short letter entitled Philemon. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the book of Philemon. We call it a book, but it's really just a very short letter. You might even need the table of contents to find it. It's pretty tucked in there next to the book of Hebrews. We'll be looking at uh, this letter for the next few weeks, and then, of course, we'll be studying the Christmas account together on Christmas. And then starting in the new year, we're going to be going into the book of Colossians. So we'll be starting Philippians today through December, Christmas, and then in the new year, the book of Colossians. You're going to see as we get into this today that Philemon and Colossians are very closely connected. And I think it's good that we'll be able to study those together. But just a quick announcement on Christmas. Christmas this year, as you probably know, is that rare occasion that falls on a Sunday. So December 25th falls on Sunday meaning that um, we will still be having church. It is Jesus' birthday. You know that, right? (laughs) So, yes. But our plan is to have just one service at 10 a.m. Normally, we're 9 and 11, two services on Sunday. But Christmas, we're going to do one service all together, 10 a.m. here in the Performing Arts Center. Uh, One of the main reasons for that is because of all the family Uh, fellowship that takes place on Christmas Day, Uh, we thought it'd be better for those that serve in the ministry, all the children ministry, the worship ministry, sound, ushers, so many that uh, have to spend quite a bit of their morning here when we do two services. We'd like to combine it for one uh, Christmas celebration together, and that'll allow for a little more time with family and fellowship for the rest of the day. So encourage you to come out and join us December 25th, and then On the first of the year, January 1, we'll be back to our regular 9 and 11 here on Sunday morning. So that's what's coming up, and that gives you a little idea of what passages in the Bible we'll be studying together. And today, we'll be looking at Philemon. Really just an introduction. I hope to look at verses 1 through 7 today. And let's pray and ask God's blessing now on the scripture this morning as we begin to study together. Father, we do thank you again for your word to us, and we pray that our time together this morning, that Lord, it will be fruitful spiritually. God, I ask for your help, your enabling to speak those things that you would want to say from this passage to your church, and I pray, Lord, that you would give your church, your people, ears to hear, and that the Holy Spirit would be very active speaking to us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This book of Philemon, not very long, but a very, very special book. It is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a man by the name of Philemon. And, you know, most of Paul's letters are written to churches in general. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Romans written to large groups of of people known as the church in those cities. He does have some letters written to individuals, pastors, we call them, Timothy, Titus. But again, those letters are written on how to conduct 
affairs in the larger setting of the church. But this letter is just a personal, from Paul to my friend Philemon, a very personal, intimate letter. So we get an insight into kind of what the Holy Spirit wanted us to see, even down in the personal relationships of our faith. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a message about personal relationship. It's not a political message. It's not even a kind of a a social uh, message about society and how to uh, cure the ails of society or culture. It's really a message about a personal relationship between a loving God who desires to reconcile men and women into personal relationship with himself. It's the message of Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross for our sins that we might be what? Reconciled to God. That's the essence of the gospel. God's love for us expressed in the cross and resurrection of Jesus that we might know God, that we might have a relationship with him and that that relationship that we have with him would begin to transform us from the inside. We would become spiritually alive in a new and dynamic way that can only be found in relationship with him. And that that transformation would not only change our relationship with him, but that it would impact our relationship with one another. It's a personal relationship with him, and then it affects every personal relationship that we have because of him. The love of God for us The love of God then within us, expressing God's love through us. This is the essence of the gospel. It's about relationship. It's about a God who loved us so much that he reconciled us to himself, that we might also be reconciled one with another, one with another. This reconciliation is really the theme of this letter to Philemon. It's about reconciling. It's about forgiveness. It's about human relationships being healed and restored. And we're going to see this, and we won't get through all of it today, but really just an introduction. But I want you to understand this ministry of reconciliation is critical, not only in our walk with him, but our walk one with another. You don't need to turn, but let me remind you, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled and now we are to be reconciled with one another, and we now have the ministry. We're to encourage others to be reconciled to God through Christ. We become ambassadors of Christ and reconciliation. Now, how important is it to be a good ambassador of Jesus if we're going to be talking about reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration in relationship? It's pretty difficult to be a good ambassador of that message if we ourselves are unable to get along with one another. If we have nothing but friction and strife and contention, and by the way, we're ambassadors of reconciliation, not a very good poster child of that ministry if you can't get along with one another, right? 
I want to share with you about love and reconciliation. Oh, I just hate this guy. You know, it just doesn't flow. The ministry gets quenched. And so this is really where Christianity kind of really meets the road, isn't it? I think we're all pretty open-hearted to God's love and being reconciled and being forgiven. That's the, that's the, the great message of the gospel. But it's a little more difficult now to actually be reconciling, to be forgiving, to be loving, to get along with one another in the Christian setting. That's where it's challenging. But this is the letter of Philemon. It shows us this inside look of Christianity, not just its message of of relationship with God, but how it really plays out in day-to-day life. In real life, what does your Christian faith look like? Are you a reconciler? Are you someone walking in this love of Christ? This letter to Philemon, it's going to give us a story about two men, Philemon, the recipient of the letter, and another man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus was at one time a slave under the household of Philemon. In the old world, you know, slavery was quite prominent. The Bible does not condone slavery, but the gospel finds its way into any setting, politically, culturally, socially. The gospel brings the good news of Christ in every setting. And so even in this setting of the old Roman world where slavery, it's thought maybe one third of the Roman population were actually enslaved. A little different, quite a bit different than our understanding of slavery. We know of the injustice of slavery through our national history. But in the Roman world, it was even broader. It wasn't just one ethnic group. It wasn't just this kind of forced labor people brought into the Roman Empire. But rather, as the Roman Empire was expanding and conquering nations and territory, those conquered people, they just became slaves to the nation. And they became actually property to those Roman citizens who then enslaved them. And it was part of the day that Jesus lived, part of the day in which Paul preached. And so you can imagine the difficulty now of the gospel coming into a a man's home where slavery is quite the normal part of culture. And now he's got this slave who has, as we find out through this letter, actually stolen something from him and run away. This is a runaway slave, Onesimus. And now Philemon, who has become a Christian, is living here in a city called Colossae. And that's why the letter of Colossians is going to be important to to dovetail on this letter because he was a member of the church in Colossae. And now Onesimus, this runaway slave, lo and behold, by chance, by God's sovereign hand, bumps into the apostle Paul while Paul's doing time in a Roman prison. He finds his way to the ministry of Paul and becomes saved. And now here's the apostle Paul. He knows Philemon from the church of Colossae. And now he knows that Onesimus is his runaway slave. And he writes this letter to Philemon to try and bring these two together in some way, not as as owner and slave, but as brothers in Christ. I mean, you couldn't get a stronger contrast of diversity, a stronger difference in culture and animosity and all the hard feelings that may have existed in both camps. And now they've got to come together in Christ. A real practical letter for us to think about 
being reconciled with one another and walking in fellowship with Christ. Today, we can talk about friendship in Christ. Again, we'll just be looking at the introduction. Let me remind you what it tells us in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the gospel brings us all together. That's the good news of the gospel. And when we read that in our hearts, it resonates. Amen. Greek, Jew, Gentile, female, male, slave, free, whatever status, we are all one in Christ. But the reality of living that out in our lives, in our Christian life, that's when it becomes more challenging. That's when we need the grace, the real work of the Holy Spirit. We agree with it in principle, but then one-on-one in relationship, we have a hard time. People get, you know, they kind of migrate to those that are like them. They kind of migrate into little cliques that they feel comfortable with. And this whole oneness in Christ, it's a good idea, but practically it doesn't really work. Well, Paul is going to show us in this small letter that God has called us to make it work. And by his grace, by his work in us, it can work. Look with me these first few verses. Let's look at Paul's greeting, verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize a little of this, don't we? This is similar to Paul's other letters and writings. He introduces himself typically. In this one, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Sometimes he'll say an apostle, sometimes a bondservant, or sometimes just Paul. But here, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, we'll talk about that. He introduces himself, who's with him, Timothy, his long-standing companion in the ministry, to Philemon. It's a personal letter to a beloved friend and a fellow laborer. And then he mentions some others. And then, of course, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. These are, this is a personal letter, but it's to a personal Christian friend. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He tells us, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says later in, the, in this letter that he is in chains. This is included in the, what we refer to often as the prison epistles, the prison letters. The Apostle Paul, if you read through the book of Acts, you can kind of track his ministry. He was at one time preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, and it caused such a riot. The Jews were so uh, intolerant of his talking about Gentiles coming to faith that they wanted to kill him and stone him, and the the Roman government had to intercede and kind of arrest him just to save him from the riot that broke out in Jerusalem. Well, They wanted to try him, and Paul appealed his case to Caesar. He was a Roman citizen. He had that right. And it was a long journey, if you read through the book of Acts. It took him a while to finally get to Rome, to where his case would be ultimately heard. But it's at Rome, we believe, that he finally has time to write these letters known as the prison epistles. There's four of them. He writes Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians, 
and this letter to Philemon. This time in Rome, he was, it's not like he was down in a dungeon, not in this first imprisonment in Rome. We discover in the book of Acts that he was actually held prisoner in a rented house. He was like under house arrest. He was chained and there were guards, but he was in a home where he could have visitors. They could come and he could receive them. So he was still active somewhat in ministry. And Timothy was there, so he was able to talk and share and send emissaries out to do the ministry, even though he was still captive, awaiting trial. He wasn't there yet under any punishment. He was there awaiting a trial to be heard against him. And so it's in that setting that he, he writes these letters. It's at that setting that this Onesimus, who's run away to hide from his master, comes to Rome, a place to hide, a big city, And somehow, by the grace of God, by God's sovereign hand, he finds his way and is introduced to Paul and he becomes saved. We'll find that out as we work in the weeks to come later into the further into the letter. But there are are some others there that Paul knows that are related to the Colossian church. Now, allow me just to give you some of this background. It's important because it'll help us understand the, the text. Paul himself had never visited the church in Colossae. You read through the book of Acts, Colossae is never a city that the Apostle Paul ever actually gets to. However, Paul does spend quite a bit of time in a city called Ephesus. In fact, he spends three years. That's the longest time he spent anywhere was in Ephesus. And Ephesus was kind of a hub city in the old world. It's modern-day Turkey. And it was a city, in fact, you can see the ruins of Ephesus today. Even the ruins are quite impressive. It was a happening town, a central place of culture and trade. And Paul spent many years there teaching the Bible, uh, teaching the Old Testament, teaching, preaching the gospel, establishing a church. And many that would come from surrounding cities, Colossae, 80, 90 miles away, people would come through Ephesus. Colossae, Laodicea, other cities there, all in modern-day Turkey, would come through Ephesus to make trade and to get to sea. And so there were people coming, and the book of Acts tells us this, people were coming into Ephesus, and they were hearing the gospel. Ephesus kind of became this gospel uh, sounding board, and people were coming into town, getting saved, and then going back into their hometowns and planting churches and getting fellowships started. They, Christian, they came in, they get, become Christians, they would go back to home, meet other people that had heard the gospel in Ephesus, and start fellowships, and churches were founded. Colossae was one of those churches. So Paul had a great uh, influence in this church, even though he'd never been. He knew many of the members, many of the key people. Philemon was one of them. We find out later in this letter that Philemon himself got saved through Paul's ministry, no doubt, at Ephesus. That would have been the logical place for Philemon and Paul to have met. And so this letter is written to Philemon, but as we're going to see, it comes uh, in tandem with the letter to Colossians. And we see that if you were to look in the book of Colossians, which we will in weeks to come, Paul writes this. He says, Tychius, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstance and comfort your hearts. 
with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. So now you kind of get the, the landscape. Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian church. He's going to send Tychius to deliver the letter, but he's also going to send Onesimus back to his master. Now that's going to be an interesting homecoming. He's stolen something from Philemon. He's run away, but now he's been saved. And so Paul is going to send him back. You need to go back and you need to make things right. You need to get reconciled. And so in order to help that process, he writes a personal letter to Philemon. And that's what we have here. So you get the idea. This is really a letter to one of the leaders in the Colossian church to accompany with the letter to the Colossians. And it's in this setting that the letter arrives to Philemon. He says that Philemon is a friend and a fellow laborer, meaning that he was active in the ministry. He was some type of elder or possibly a servant in the church at Colossae. It also mentions a, a woman's named, a woman named Aphia. Most believe this was probably Philemon's wife. But also this name Archippus, fellow soldier, Paul refers to him. And this may, be, may have been someone of Philemon's household, maybe a son, maybe a brother, but a fellow soldier. In other words, someone who's engaged in active ministry to the church in your house. So we get some insight into the New Testament church. They didn't have formal church buildings. Does that sound familiar to anybody in this church? They met, as we see in the book of Acts, there were times Paul met in synagogues. There were times that he met uh, in Ephesus. He used a rented school. But then also there were home fellowships that the churches would gather in in some communities. And in some cases there would be corporate gathering and then included home fellowships. And it may be that this church in Colossae had a corporate gathering of a church because Paul seems to write, to a broader group when he writes the letter of Colossians. And this may have been just one of the smaller home fellowships within the Colossian church. He says the church in your house, the actual Greek word is ecclesia, meaning gathering. So we get something here of, of insight as to how the early church operated. Yes, there were places where they, the apostles taught just as we are here teaching the Bible, but there were also smaller gatherings where they had opportunity to create and generate personal friendships, relationships, prayer meetings, encouragements, and so forth. And Paul is writing now to one of those leaders, one of those home fellowships. Maybe the whole church was meeting there, but most likely a portion of the church. But I want you to see, and this is the kind of the heart of my thoughts for us today, is this emphasis on relationship. Christianity is about relationship. There are no Lone Ranger Christians in the Christian gospel. We are called to be connected. Notice the words. Paul calls him brother, beloved friend, fellow laborer, a, a, a fellow soldier. We, we see that Paul's letters include personal relationship, that, and, and he sees some of these men as teams of ministry, fellow soldier, fellow laborer. I'm here, I'm writing with Timothy, 
my fellow soldier in the Lord as well. And you see that Paul had these connections and relationships with many individuals. We'll see this even moving through the letter. We're going to see some more names listed. We get the idea that in the early church, these, these Christians, they found each other and they fellowshiped. They found friendship. They worked together for the furthering of the gospel. And I want to encourage your heart today because I believe that's something that we need to keep alive in our Christian journey as well. You know, it's easy to kind of get disconnected from one another and just kind of, we come to church on Sunday, but then, you know, we don't really fellowship with Christians during the week. We go back to our real lives and live in, you know, in the real world, and there's this kind of distance between church and real life. But that's not what the way the Lord has intended it. He's in, the church is to be our real life. Yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have family. Yes, we have many non-Christian relationships as well. But these Christian friendships, they become vital and important in our growing and maturing as believers. And we are connected to one another. Relationships change over time. We see that in the Apostle Paul's life. There were some who traveled with him for seasons and then they no longer traveled together. There were times when there were ministry and close contact, but then they would fall away, but then some would come back. And that's the way it is in our Christian lives as well. Some relationships, maybe we'll have them for life and we'll fellowship together for, you know, a lifetime. Some, I mean, if, as I look at my own Christian life, I have some wonderful Christian fan, friends. At one time, we were close doing ministry together, but then through ministry changes, callings, new opportunities, all of a sudden now, we're still friends, but we're not in fellowship regularly like we used to be, but we're still part of the work, and we still can contact one another and encourage one another. You get the idea. These relationships will be changing, they will be shifting, God will move you, redirect you, but always there should be this sense of koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship. Look on with me now, verses 4 through 6, take a look at Paul's prayer. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm, think, I'm thanking the Lord for you regularly as I pray for you. Now, there's a good thought. Paul is praying for his Christian friends. Paul is praying for his brothers in Christ on a regular basis. Are you praying for your Christian friends? Are you praying for your church friends? Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for those that you know in Christ? Are you regularly lifting them up in prayer? Paul seemed to be very connected in prayer, thinking about them, making mention of them. And he's very thankful because what he's hearing concerning Philemon, that he, that he has a love and faith towards the Lord, but also toward all the saints. I'm so encouraged about you, Philemon. I'm hearing from people coming from the church at Colossae that not only do you love Jesus, but it's manifested in the way that you love the others. I mean, there he is hosting this church fellowship in his home. And God is blessed and Paul is blessed. And true Christianity is always evidenced, not only by our love for Jesus, 
but by, by our love for one another. Now he says something very interesting in verse 6. And I'd like you to look at it with me again. And I, I think maybe, maybe this is the heart, at least of today's study, that I would like to communicate with you. His, this is his prayer for Philemon. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Not an easy verse to even kind of understand what exactly is he saying by the sharing. That word there is that Greek word again, koinonia, by the fellowship, by the connection of others with your faith, that it would be effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Listen to the NIV's version of this same verse. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. To me, it seems that Paul, this is Paul's prayer. Philemon, this is what I'm praying for you, that your fellowship and connection with others in the faith, that you're partnering in this work of the gospel. That as you make your life available for fellowship and connection and relationship, and you know, even though that can be messy at times, even though that can be risky at times, as you give yourself to that, my prayer is that that's going to produce a deepening in your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. As if to say, your personal Christian experience and enrichment in Christ will be enhanced as you give yourself to relationship with other Christians. We all want to grow in Christ. We all want the the virtues of Christ to be growing and increasing in our lives. I do. How about you? Well, guess what? Here's a little insight as to how that happens. Here's how that gets traction in your life by your fellowshipping, partnering, koinonia, koinonia with other Christians. God has connected our growth and relationship with him to our growth and relationship with one another. Oh, don't you wish it was not that way sometimes? I would really just like to grow in the Lord and not have to be troubled with the other, right? We all want to grow in the Lord, but it's the other people that make it so hard to grow in the Lord. Am I just, am I speaking to anybody's heart here today? I mean, let's be honest, that's where it's difficult. We all love the Lord, it's one another that is so difficult. But, but here's the truth. God is working in your life through those relationships with one another. Think about the character of Christ. Think about the virtues of Christ. Think about love. Think about forgiveness. Think about patience and long-suffering. Think about considering others more important than yourself. Think about all the things about Jesus that we love and adore. How are those going to be manifested in my life? They're going to have to happen in the trial and tribulation of relationship. They're going to, I mean, it's easy to be patient when I have just no one but myself to be patient with, right? I've got to learn patience in the real world, in the real life situations. That's why this letter to Philemon is so insightful. Look, this is a personal letter. Hey, Philemon, 
This is where Christianity really counts. Can you find a way to be reconciled with this guy that's done you wrong and left you and run away, broken the law? He's a, he's, you know, he's a runaway slave. Onesimus, you got to go back. Oh, I'm not going back there. I did all I do to get away from there. Onesimus, you got to go back. That's your brother in the Lord. We've got to trust God to work this out. You guys have got to both be vulnerable. You've both got to put some, something in the game, something at risk. Relationships are not easy, especially when there's division and hurt and, and you know, contrast of opinion and, and what was done and what he should have done and I won't until they do and oh, never, all the things that we wrestle with in relationship. And here it is. Christ has come. Christ has come and reconciled you to God. Think of the, of the status that was changed when you came to Christ. Is there any relationship now that you cannot be reconciled with? God reconciled you to himself? You get the idea. And this is the essence, I think, of what Philemon really communicates to us. And this is Paul's prayer. That in your partnership, in your fellowship with others, you will grow in your understanding of all the good things that we share for the sake of Christ. You're going to have to find growth in Christ through relating to one another. I want to thank you for being here today. I want to tell you that being here on church is a ministry even of itself. Just attending a Sunday morning to study the Bible, to worship God, to be gathered with others is a ministry to others. Yes, you're here primarily for your own spiritual nourishing and growing and hearing the word, and you know this is healthy for your spiritual life, but you know what? You are ministering to one another. Can you imagine just you and me being here and nobody else? That wouldn't be very encouraging. Aren't you glad there are other people in church here with you today? Doesn't that kind of make you feel like this is a good thing? It's good that I'm here. It's good that they're all here, right? So there is a blessing. What about visitors? What about somebody that comes in and doesn't know the Lord Jesus? Do you think it's helpful to walk into a place where there are quite a few people wanting to love Jesus and worship him and hear the word? Don't you know the Holy Spirit uses just your presence here as, an, as a spiritual ministry to one another? So there is something about our gathering. There is something that we communicate one to another, even if we don't even say a word, even if you come and leave, you still meant something to one another. But I want to challenge you, and I think that's what Paul is, is, is going to be encouraging, and we'll see this in the weeks to come. I want to challenge you to think about going even deeper, even deeper than just being a blessing on Sunday morning. Think about developing some Christian relationships that will connect you in an even greater and more intimate way to the work of Christ in you and the work of the gospel through you. We have some opportunities as a church. We gather on Wednesday nights. It's a smaller fellowship, more intimate, but an opportunity to meet and connect. We have men's and women's fellowships. We have young adult fellowships. We have right, different types of gatherings where our hope is that yeah, not only just another Bible study, but also a chance for people to connect. It's not easy in our culture. We're busy. We're in, we're out. You, could, you can come to this church for months and months and not even know a soul. 
and feel like you're connected, but not really opening your life up yet to any true relationship. So I want to encourage you. I think there's something in your spiritual development that's connected to one another. And we're going to close, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read it and then we'll just close with prayer and partake of communion. This is not just an idea in Philemon. This is an idea that runs throughout the New Testament. This is an idea that Jesus himself taught and prayed. Right? Remember his prayer in John. Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. I pray that the same relationship you and I have, they will have with you and with one another. This is the idea of Christianity. It's about relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. And just follow with me and then I'll comment and we'll close. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And an eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and, on, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, division in the body but that the members should have the same care excuse me, for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Just a couple of thoughts here. You know this analogy. It's not only in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 likens the church our gathering, our group as a body, each part playing an individual significant part connected to one another. And a couple of warnings that we see in 1 Corinthians, uh, the, any part of the body cannot say, I have nothing to offer. I'm not a part of the body. I'm just a lowly ear. I'm not a part of the body. I'm just a foot. I don't have anything to offer to the body. See, that's wrong thinking in the Christian community. We're not to imagine that we have nothing to offer. The, the Bible says you do have something to offer. God, the Bible says that God has deposited something of significance in you that you bring to the whole. And without you, we're lacking. So that's wrong thinking to imagine that, well, I really don't have anything to offer, so I don't need to bother. No, rather you need to pray and ask the Lord, what is my part? What is my significance in this church, in this 
Christian community. And, and maybe you have a, a Bible study at work. Maybe you have a fellowship that you're connected to, people that you know, that you pray for. Some way, somehow, you have something to offer. You ought not to think that I'm not a part of the body. The other warning is for someone to imagine that I don't have need of that other member in the body. The eye can't say, I have no need of the ear. Where's the hearing, right? That's, that's a different perspective. One says, I have nothing to offer. The other one says, I don't need anything. I have all that I need. I'm, fulfill- I'm, I'm sufficient by myself. And that's a wrong attitude too, almost a prideful attitude, imagining that you don't have a need for anybody else in the Christian body. You do. Your life is lacking if you're not getting connected in some type of personal relationship with other Christians, Christian friendship, fellowship, relationships. There's something that God has for you there. I think that's what Paul is reminding Philemon in his prayer, that your fellowship, your partnership will help you develop in all things. Paul is getting Philemon ready for the big challenge he's getting ready to introduce, which is I want you to be reconciled to Onesimus. But he reminds him first of of the blessing of relationship and and the necessity of Christian relationship. And that's the right foundation. Hard to forgive somebody when you don't think you need to. Hard to, you know, want to be forgiven when you don't imagine it's even important. But when you begin to, as Paul has for Philemon, put the perspective like, you know what? Christian friendship is important. Christian relationship is significant to God and my spiritual life. When it becomes important to you, then those troubled, difficult, reconciled relationships become, you become motivated. I got to get this worked out. We got to find a way to, to go forward because we're part of the Christian body. And it begins to kind of drive us to work through these things. And that's what Paul is getting ready to do here with Philemon. Maybe you're here today and you imagine yourself to be quite sufficient as a Lone Ranger Christian. I'm challenging you. You're you're lacking something that God has for you through relationship. Maybe you're here today and you imagine yourself to be a very inadequate, insufficient, you know, kind of not really having anything to offer Christian. I would challenge you today as well and say, you do. God has gifts that he wants to use through your life. It's all about relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this short, but I believe very insightful letter written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to his personal friend Philemon. And Lord, even today we see just just the emphasis of relationship, not only our relationship with you. Of course, Lord, that's where it all begins. We must first be reconciled to you. But then this ministry of reconciliation that has been given to us, one with another, and also to encourage others to come to faith in Christ. I pray, Lord, that these truths will stir in our hearts and Lord, that you will use your word to bring good fruit. And as your heads are bowed here today, we're closing in prayer. We're going to partake of communion. 
I do want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord's word. Maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe something has touched your heart today and you would like to respond to that and ask for prayer. And I'm thinking specifically if you're here today and you yourself need to be reconciled first to God. Maybe you're not walking with the Lord. Maybe you've never come to a a real relationship with God. But you realize today that the gospel, the Bible, Jesus, church, it's really all about God loving you and God wanting to have a personal relationship with you and that he has sent his son to die on the cross for your sins that you might be forgiven and reconciled, made given peace with God. I'd love to pray for you if you're here today, you've never received Christ or you need to give your life back to Christ. Maybe that's something you need prayer for. I want to pray. Or maybe you're here today and there is a division between you and someone else that you know the Lord wants you to be reconciled to. And maybe you just need prayer today. Lord, help me. I've been going along in division. I've been going along holding on to this bitterness. I've been going along just feeling justified because I know I'm right and they hurt me. And I've just been okay with it. But I recognize today, Lord, you're not okay with it. I'm to be an ambassador of Christ. And Christ is about mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and unity and blessing. And maybe you're here today and you just want prayer. Pastor, I just need to surrender this to the Lord. And I need God's grace to just change my heart and help me find a way forward in peace. I'd like to pray for you too. So we'll put you all together. If you're here today, you want to receive the Lord, be reconciled back to him, or you need prayer to be reconciled with someone else in your heart and life this morning, just raise your hand and we're going to pray. Anybody today, the Lord's speaking to you. You need this prayer. You need to respond. A number of hands. God bless you. Number of hands. Amen. Anyone else? It's between you and the Lord. We're just going to pray. It's good to get things right before we come to the table of the Lord and partake of communion. Anyone else? You need to get right with God. You need to surrender and get things right with someone else. Lord, for these hearts responding and quite a few, Lord, I pray that you would meet them. And first, Lord, we would just humble ourselves and say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. I want to be reconciled first to you. And I ask you to Forgive me. I believe you love me. You died on the cross. And I'm, I'm receiving that forgiveness today with confidence. And Lord, we're also praying that you would forgive us for the division maybe that some are holding with others. And God, we ask you to forgive us. And we ask you to help us to be forgiving. Lord, restore us. Make relationships right and peaceful, Lord. Give us that grace. Show us the way. Help us, Lord. We thank you now in all this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.